You're listening to the High Power Archery Podcast. I'm your host, Angel Garcia, a USA Archery Certified Coach, inviting you to join us each week as we discuss various topics in the world of archery. Our goal in creating this podcast is to answer questions and provide insight, all with the intention of helping others enjoy the sport that has given so much to us. Be sure to like and subscribe to our podcast and send in your questions. We're always happy to hear from our listeners. Now on to the show. And it's time for another episode of the High Power Archery Podcast. In this episode, we're going to go over bow hunting practice routines. In our last episode, we covered bow hunting preparation right before the season, how to look over your equipment, how to get yourself in physical shape for it. Um, This one is going to be all about practice routines and ways to get you better prepared for that opening day and the entire season. But before we get into that, first I'll mention that this is our first episode using our new equipment. Um, Hopefully the sound is better and we'll be adding little things in there going forward, so it should be better. Anyway, on to this episode. So, we went over the basics of what to look for in your equipment in our last last meeting, let's just say. And this time we're going to go over practice routines. And why are practice routines very important? Well, it gets you prepared for those situations you're going to encounter when you're in the woods. Now, a lot of people shoot 3D throughout the course of the year. And the challenge that provides is giving you different shooting situations, different angles. And that is all part of it. But for a lot of people, they don't shoot 3D and they're not used to it. And sometimes they just pick up the bow a month or so before the season, sometimes a couple of days before the season. Well, whatever your routine may be, there's nothing really wrong with it. But there are ways that you should be practicing to better familiarize yourself with what you're going to encounter. Now, there's a couple of things you can do. And one of the things that I suggest first is you have to be able to control your draw. What does that mean? Well, when you get in front of an animal, or should I say an animal comes in front of you, he's walking across. The idea is not to startle them. And I'd say 20 or 30% of the people that I talk to who have missed an animal in the woods or had a bad experience shooting at one say that they got busted the minute they try to draw their bow. Why does that happen? Well, it's pretty simple. If you draw your bow and you're overbowed, let's just say, then you're going to struggle trying to pull back into full draw and anchor. That struggle could lead to some noise that'll spook them, or even worse than that, it can lead to a visible movement. Now, some people say, well, I hunt from a tree stand. I won't have to worry about that. But you actually do, because what happens is when you're in a tree stand, you have light coming from behind you. A lot of times, there'll be a shadow cast down. doesn't really make a difference what time of the morning it is or not, but there's a difference in the background that changes when there's a lot of movement, and the animals will pick that up. Once they do, they go on alert. Now they're tense, and if they haven't already bugged out, they're going to be on high alert and looking for any sign of movement. So at that point, If you haven't already spooked them, it's going to make the opportunity to get that shot off much harder. They always say never try to take a shot when an animal's looking directly at you. Like anything else, if he sees it coming, he's going to move. 
So, practicing your draw. Like I said, most people never try to do this sort of thing. With my students, I encourage them to draw slowly. And if they can draw slowly and in a controlled pace, you're not going to make so much movement or noise. Especially when you're wearing hunting clothes that aren't sometimes the quietest thing in the world. You need to limit that movement. So how do we go about practicing what I call the slow draw or even the interrupted draw? What's an interrupted draw? You're drawing on an animal because he's got his head down. Suddenly he catches some movement. He catches some noise. And the movement was not necessarily you. It could have been a squirrel under your tree or something like that. But he picks his head up to look in your general direction. Now you're in the middle of your draw. If you continue to go to full draw, there's a chance you could get there, but there's a probably a better chance that he'll bust you. So what you do is you have to be able to stop mid-draw. Now, depending on the draw cycle of the cam that you're using on your bow, that may or may not be easy. Also, where, whether or not you've gotten to the valley yet, where all of a sudden your let-off takes, takes over. So if you can practice drawing halfway, holding it, for say a second or two, and then continue the draw while staying level without creating a ton of movement, that'll help. And the drill that I have my students do is very simple. Lift up to the target, draw half, hold. One second, two seconds, three seconds. Go to full draw. They go to full draw, anchor, relax, Keep pressure on the back end. And then the second drill that goes hand in hand with this is the letdown. If you can let down successfully when it's needed, for example, if you're drawing on an animal and he walks behind an obstruction, let down. Especially if he's not moving fast. If he's moving at a very slow pace and he's gotten behind an obstruction, you have to be able to let down. When you let down, it gives you time to reset your shoulder Wait for him to come out when you start to see that he's moving into the into the shooting path that you've determined is where you're going to take your shot, then you can draw back again. And a lot of people will find that they don't have the ability to let down. It's kind of a psychological thing because some people just tell you, well, once I grip it and rip it, it's got to go off. I can't I can't let down. Teaching yourself to do this can be somewhat of a challenge sometimes, but I find it's not as hard as most people think. And when you show people how to draw properly, and again, a lot of the difficulties people have is a lack of form or in a poor technique when drawing. If you're drawing with your arm instead of using your back muscles, it's going to be much harder for you to stop mid-draw and it's going to be much harder for you to let down. And especially with some of the higher let-off bows, like with PSC, they have bows that go up to 90% let-off. You may actually feel when you get all the way back to full draw that you have to push that thing to let it down. And that's nothing new. That does happen. But again, learn how to do it. If you've never tried it, you know, trying to execute that thing when you've never done it before, it's going to be nearly impossible. So like the old saying goes, practice makes perfect. Try to draw halfway hold it, go to full draw, take a shot, see how it feels. What I find is people notice a difference in their impact point 
if they go half draw and they wait and then they go to full draw. Why that happens? Sometimes because, A, they're not familiar with doing it. B, you, you want it so bad to get into full draw that you've neglected the rest of your form. So now you're back there. Now you're forgetting to line up your shoulders. You're forgetting to relax your arm and you just fire. So again, repetition makes perfect. And if you practice doing this, it'll become normal to you. And you can add that to your routine where, okay, I'm, I'm holding it half draw. Now I draw it back. Remember to go through your checklist, alignment, hand, shoulders, constantly maintaining a back pressure on there as you fire. And you'll see that you will get back on target. Same thing, letting it down. Practice the letdown. If a shot never feels fun, never feels good to you, you should never fire it. Often, more often than not, when you shoot a shot, it's got to be, you know, you feel comfortable with it. But if you if you don't feel comfortable with shooting that shot, chances are it's not going to go where you want it. And there's a lot of people who can, well, oh, I got lucky, I pulled it off. When we're talking about shooting a game, you owe it to that game to make a ethical shot on them. If you rush it or the shot didn't feel good, you're going to wind up with a bad shot, possibly wounding an animal, which is something we do not want to do. So, again, practice, 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 practice. Some people may find that when they try to draw their bow, it's so heavy they can only draw it two or three times. And this is why I say the half draw practice, stop and then go to full draw, is a really good indicator of whether or not you're overbowed and whether or not you're pulling too much weight. Because remember, it's great to have an 80-pound bow, but if you can't pull it back 20, 30 times without causing undue stress to your shoulder and extreme pain, it's too heavy for you. And I hate to say it, but the same thing happens for 70-pound bows and 60-pound bows. If you're just doing it so like, well, I only need to get one shot off in the woods. Okay, now add to that, a climate change where suddenly it's cold, your muscles are not stretched out, you're in thick clothing. All these factors combine to make it much more difficult to execute a shot and do it with clean form. And if you're already handicapped by the fact that you can barely pull that bow back, you've got a problem. The other thing I tell people is, if you're going to be hunting in a tree stand, okay, you're going to be hunting on a very small platform. All right. So you're on a small platform. So now when you're at the range, you know, you've got your good stance there and your, your wide feet spread apart perfectly and you've got your balance and you're firing and there's no issue there. Go up into a tree stand. Now you're limited to say a one by, say a, a two by two foot platform if you're lucky on there, especially with a climber where it may be smaller. Do you still have the same leverage? Are you still able to shoot the same exact way? Here's how you, you find out. Get a milk carton. And I don't mean a container of milk. I'm talking about the plastic the plastic milk boxes that they come in for the containers in the supermarket. People always have them laying around their house. However, they got them, whatever. I'm not going to get into that one. But somehow, they always wind up in the house. and Or in your trunk, you know, as an organizer. Take one of those one of those milk container organizers, or any sturdy box that'll hold your weight that's at least a foot high and maybe a foot wide. Step on that thing, okay? Stand on there and draw your bow. If you're overbowed 
and you have a wonky form when you pull it back, chances are, while you're drawing, you're going to lose your balance and start to fall off that box. Yes, it's embarrassing to fall off the box in front of other people when you're doing that, you know, and you'll catch yourself and you're not going to hurt yourself because you're only a foot up. But would you rather find out that you're overbowed and fall off a box a foot off the ground or fall out of a tree stand when you try to draw the same exact way? And I say this particularly and directed at people who have never been hunting before. As an educator and teaching the hunter safety classes in New York, I can't tell you the number of people that come in to take the class. And this is why I don't teach them in October. I only teach them in August and September at the latest because our bow season starts in October here in New York. But I will not teach anything in October because I get people coming in and they will tell me, I'm taking my class, I just got a bow, and I'm going to go hunting next week. Red flag number one. Are you going to be hunting out of a ground blind? Have you ever shot while sitting down? No. You're going to be hunting in a tree stand? Yeah. Have you ever tried to shoot from a tree stand? Well, no, it's the same thing as shooting from the ground. No, it's not. So I actually have one of these milk crates. That's the proper term, crate. I have one of these milk crates in my car that I use as an organizer, which I still don't know where it came from, but I've had it for years. And I say, okay, do me a favor. Step on this thing. Draw your bow for me. In the nearly 20 years I've been doing this, I think I've had three people who didn't fall off when they told me they were, they've never hunted before, never shot in a tree stand. And even new new people, I use this as an example of if they're over boat or not. I say, here, you got an 80-pound bow. That's what you want to shoot, right? All right, step on the box. Throw it back. Fall off immediately. They lose their balance because most of them are hitching down, trying to get that draw back. They'll fall off. So it's better to fall off a box, you know, cause a little embarrassment than to fall out of a tree stand and lose your life. It's not worth it. So try that. If you're somewhere and you don't have access to a milk crate, then step on anything. Like I said, any kind of thing's going to be a foot or two feet across, you know, that lets you concentrate standing on something that's unfamiliar to you, especially a smaller platform base, and try to draw your bow. If you can't draw it, then you need to let to lower the weight of the bow according to the manufacturer specs as low as possible until you get to a point that you can draw back successfully. If you find out that you're unable to do this, you don't throw away the bow. Of course not. You spent all that money on the bow. Then what you need to do is you need to increase your stamina and strength by A, learning to draw properly, and B, probably lifting a little bit of heavy weight and there's lots of you know there's archery fit there's all kinds of different websites out there that can show you how to draw and increase your draw weight and your arm strength and again it's not about the arm it's about the back you're looking to increase your technique strength and you can build it up if it's the day before season then what i would tell you is you're not going to go into a tree stand i wouldn't advise it you're going to potentially hurt yourself hunt from the ground hunt from a blind it's safer. It's more responsible to do something like that. So we've gone on to the draw routine. We've gone on to seeing, making sure that we're able to draw the bow while on a smaller platform. And we're practicing that routine. The slow draw, the letdown, the half draw. Now we're going to say, all right, I know that I can draw my bow. 
and I'm able to let down. I'm able to control that draw. So if an animal animal comes along, I can stop when I have to. I can continue. I can reset. Wash, rinse, repeat, you know, that sort of thing. Just able to do it quietly and in an effective manner. But now we got to talk about have you practiced ranging? So this is like the taboo subject that a lot of people don't like to talk about because they all say, well, that's why I bought a $400 rangefinder. I can range the animal and see where he is. Okay. If an animal comes in to 60 or 70 yards, he's not alert. He has probably no clue to your presence. And if you're going to go ahead and range him at that distance and you're prepared to shoot at that distance, no problem. If you're not, and this animal is closer, remember what I said about movement. They will pick up the movement as you try to lift your rangefinder. So knowing your ranges is very, very important. Now, there's a ton of different ways that you can learn to range things on an open field, but remember, lighting and shadows will throw all that out the window, and it takes time to learn that. So you don't put yourself at a disadvantage out there without being able to range an animal. What you ideally should do is figure out a system for yourself by which you have the advantage because you've done the homework ahead of time. And what I mean by that is, let's just say you have a 20-yard pin on your bow. You need to know okay, what that pin does at 15 yards and 25 yards or 26 yards. Because after that, you can use your 30-yard pin and you need to know what the 30-yard pin does at 25 yards and at 35 yards, and so on and so forth, going up the scale, depending on what your range of accuracy actually is. So now, okay, what does this all have to do with range finding? Well, if you don't have a bow that has a built, you know, a sight that has a built-in range finder, the Garmin has it, but again, just because it tells you, oh, that animal's at 47 yards, doesn't mean that it's going to put the arrow there for you. It means, hey, I'm broadcasting, I'm checking that that line to this animal, it's 47 yards, you've got to hit it now. So you still have to execute to do it. The biggest problem that we see, especially with in the Northeast, is that when hunting white-tailed deer, they tend to come in fast, and then they tend to move in erratic motions. They'll stay in one place for a couple of, a couple of seconds, then they'll hop off somewhere else. So let's just say that you did get an opportunity to range him. And you say, okay, he's at 22 yards right now. In the time it takes you to put down that range finder and pick up your bow, sometimes people don't look or they do see it happening and the animal bounds off what looks to you like two or three steps. If you were to range find it, because remember their strides are much larger than yours, you might find out he moved as much as 9 or 10 yards in just one hop, two steps, three three gallops, whatever you want to call it. They'll do that. The result is you think it's still at 22, 23 yards. You shoot it for 22, 23 yards, and either you're low or you completely miss. So how do I get around that if I don't have a range-finding bow sight? The way I get around that is pretty simple. 
It involves advanced scouting where you're going to go, but let's just say you go into a place that's unfamiliar, you're hunting state land. You still do the same thing. Once you get into your stand or you get to the to the blind you're going to be hunting and the, the corner you're going to be hunting out of, take your rangefinder out and range different landmarks, different trees, and know that that tree that's over there, that thing is at 26 yards. That tree over there is at 35 yards. As many as possible, and you know it in your head. So I'd say for beginners, two or three landmarks that I've ranged are pretty good, and they should be in within your range of effective shooting, and you know where they are. So when an animal crosses in front of it, you have an idea of how far they are. Then go to it, select the right pin, and shoot. And that's a pretty easy way of doing it. If you're hunting on private land, then I would say mark it out. Put a marker on the trees that say 25 or a different color that you know what it is. So if your pins are green, yellow, and red, and your green is 20, a tree that's 20 yards away from you, or any trees that are 20 yards away from you, mark them with a, with a green, uh, green marker tape. Same thing, if it's 30 yards away from you, mark it with red marker tape. I've had people do this before, and where they had previously missed an animal because they moved around, Having that, they knew exactly where it was, and they were able to harvest an animal doing it that way. Sounds like a lot, but if you think about it, you're spending all this time in preparation, you might as well do that. So range finding is important. Learn how to determine ranges. The best thing you can do to learn ranges is to go 3D shooting, and after a while, you start to know, well, that's 20 yards, this is 25 yards, just by looking at the size of a target with regards to where it is, and there's a lot of tips and tricks we can teach you in another episode about how to do that. Um, so you've gotten the draw. Now you've practiced ranging. That's a routine that you're going to practice with that. You know, know how far an animal is. And that's a preparation thing more than a routine. But the same thing, if you're going to practice it, practice looking at a target. Just stare at targets. Know what a deer-sized 3D target is looking like at 25 yards. Know what it looks like at 30 yards. After a while, you pick that up, and that's a practice routine. It's very, very simple. Just go out there, and the, the top 3D shooters in, in the world, what they do is they'll put their, their targets out there, and they will spend time burning their eyes into it, staring at what it is. Only their job is much more complicated because they're staring at various types of 3D targets, Deer, bear, elk targets, javelina targets, no matter what it is. And they have to know what those things look like at different distances because they shoot what they call unmarked ranges. So that routine works for learning your ranges. So now you've covered drawing, you've covered learning your ranges. But what I touched on before is kind of important too because before we were talking about what do you do, you know, let's just get into the pin sites. There are people who ha who prefer to shoot a single pin sight. There are people who pr prefer to shoot multi-pin sights. Myself, I find that for ranging purposes, for new people, I stick them in what we call the easy V sight because it allows them to range the animal by using the V. It's a stadiometric ranging principle. It works. It takes all the guessing out of it, and they use that. But mo a lot of people find that unconventional because they're unwilling to accept that there's another way of doing it. So I still have students that use pin sites, and there's nothing wrong with that. 
but they have to learn how to practice with a pin sight. So which do they use? They use a multi-pin or they use a single pin. When I shot with pin sights, and I still do for target, and if I'm going to go long range or something like that, I will still use a pin sight for extreme long ranges. I always preferred myself a multi-pin. Why? A multi-pin has up to five, even sometimes seven pins inside that scope. And once you know the range to the target, come to anchor full draw, cir- you know, encircle your, your scope with your peep sight, select a pin, put it on the animal, pick a spot, and fire. Now, that seems overly simple, but for me, it was always easy because if the animal moved on me and I knew he moved, say, another 10 yards, I don't have to go resetting a sight. The problem with a single pin sight is, especially with the ones with the dials or whatever on them, is that you have to take your eyes off the animal to change that dial. At long distance, With it, like I said, going back to the animal not being alert to your presence, that's not hard. You can do that. That's pretty simple. But in close, you don't have that kind of time. And when you go and you look down like that, it might be over by then. He might have taken off. So that does not mean if you have a single pin sight, throw that thing out because now you're screwed. It doesn't work that way. If you have a single pin sight, and say you shoot it for whatever your median range is going to be, and I'll say the average shot, in an area that I'm going to go to is say 25 yards. And I'm used to shooting that pin at 20 yards. Set your pin for 20 yards, but practice shooting at targets 20 yards, 25 yards, 15 yards, 10 yards. Know what the, what the shot is going to do and how you have to aim. So if I know that at 10 yards, I have to aim three inches low of my intended target, no problem. I can do it all in one pin. Like I said, if he's out further, you have the flexibility of being able to move that on your own and rearrange them because they're not alert. So they're not going to be moving as fast. They're not going to be bounding about. Still, always look to make sure that when you go up and you're about to draw that bow, that he's in the same background, the same setting he was before. So it's kind of double-checking yourself. Otherwise, because if he's not, rearrange it and see what you got to do. But if I'm in close, where I don't have that opportunity, I have to know how my bow is going to react at different given ranges and distances. So that's how you take care of the pin sight versus the multiple pin sights. This is how you practice with them. Either way, practice with a multiple pin sight, practice shooting with those different pins at say 22 yards at 23 yards because even though you have a 20 yard pin what happens if he shows up at 12 do you know what the bow does at 12 or you're just going to accept the fact it's probably going to shoot high no be precise with it so if you can figure that out you'll know that oh he's at 33 yards i'm going to shoot it with my 30 yard pin but i got to aim just a hair high that works so so much for the sights now for the aiming practices on an animal and this is something that i've seen a lot um i've seen two major problems one is that especially for newer people but even people have been hunting for 20 years i'll I'll ask them like you know what happened on the shot where did you hit them especially when i'm taking somebody new out and they're like i'm a complete blank man i don't remember 
Okay, that's an acceptable and pretty much reasonable answer from some people. They don't remember. Or they missed entirely, but they're still wondering, like, I don't know why I missed. Okay, so I start asking. One, did you remember to look through your peep? Sometimes they get so excited they forget to look through their peep. So, again, with your routine, practice your steps, knowing draw, anchor, peep, alignment, relax, start drawing with the shoulder, and fire. So that's how you you get into that routine where you're not going to forget about your peep sight. But at the same time, you get some people who aim at the entire animal. That's not going to work. There's an old saying, you have to be able to pick a spot. And picking a spot is very, very important. Why is it important? This is why I suggest that people shoot 3D. If you're down at the local indoor range or even an outdoor range that has bag targets up there, you're shooting at spots and circles. I don't know if this is, you know, a common thing in the area you may be hunting, but I can tell you it's not where I hunt, but the animals don't walk around with targets on them. So now you're used to shooting a mass. You have to be able to pick a spot. So a good practice routine I tell people is, and I know the first thing people are going to say, well, I'll just put a small little target on, on the block. No. Take your target, put a brown piece of paper on the target, or any color paper, I don't really care. Put it on the target. And the exercise you're going to do is to try to put your arrow in the exact center of that paper. I think you'll find it's a little harder to do than you think. Without an aiming reference, that dot, that bullseye there, you could find yourself in a different world. Why? Because you need to concentrate on a spot, not on the entire target. How do you do that when you're out hunting in the woods? Simple. Look for in the area that you're targeting on the animal. So if I'm looking to target his lungs, I might find a tuft of hair that's sticking out. I might find an individual light spot on his body. Aim and concentrate on that spot. That is fulfilling the principle of aim small, miss small. If you aim big, you miss big, and most of the time, you miss entirely. A lot of people will wound deer strictly because they're shooting at the entire deer. And if you don't shoot at a spot, there's no telling where it's going to go. And 99% of the time, it winds up in a miss. So practice as a routine shooting at an individual piece of paper or an individual target with no markings on it, trying to hit the exact center. And then just say, okay, I can hit the center. I'm good. No, you're not. Try to hit different corners of it. So if I say I want to hit the upper right-hand corner of this target, aim at that, concentrate on that, hit it. Hit the center of the target, hit it. And sometimes when I'm doing it, people look at me like I'm weird because I'm down there and I'm shooting at no target. I'm shooting at a blank at a blank cube target with nothing on it except for a piece of paper. And they're like, why are you doing that? Like, The animal doesn't have a target on his side. I need to practice that way. One word of caution, however, a lot of people say, well, I shoot at 3D targets. Okay, and that is a great practice, 
but I am going to say this. The vitals as represented on a 3D target are not, most of the time, accurate when it comes to a real animal. So while you may be shooting that 12 ring on an ASA target, they're like, yeah, that's, that's, that's great. It's a 12. Remember, those targets are designed for scoring. A lot of times, they're not biologically, anatomically correct. So always practice aiming where you know it's going to be. If you look up online, you'll see a lot of different articles, and I'll post something online in another week or so, and I'll try to do a video. It's called the Golden Triangle. And a lot of people think that if you're aiming directly up the deer's leg, you've got to go halfway back of the deer to get a shot. And why do they think that? Because they see all this on TV, and I hate this to tell you folks, but if you see most of these most of these shows on TV, these hunting shows, they don't show you the rest of the the hunt after a shot is made. The reason they don't do that, they only show you the recovery where he's standing there holding holding the deer. They only show you that because if you look at the shots as they're taken, most of them are really bad shots, and they're too far back. They're actually gut shots. So it's not like it's going to be a 15, 20-minute recovery. A lot of these take hours if they even recover it at all. Why? Because that's how they do it on TV, not not by purpose, but it happens to, to go that way. However, you as the viewer see that, and you're like, oh, this is the place to hit them. It is not. Learn the golden triangle, where to get in on there, some people fear bones, so they're going to hit that. They think the shoulder starts somewhere where it doesn't. Learn some anatomy. Learn where it is. Learn where the lungs are, where it's all concentrated on. And you will be able to do it. And it's not hard. You wouldn't have to fear where your arrow is going to go if you knew the spot to hit. And having that confidence is something that will help you greatly. So your practice routine is learn the anatomy of that deer, and then try to pick spots so that you direct your arrow where you want to go with it. And it'll work every single time. Now, the other thing you need to practice is, as I said before, simulation. If you've never hunted in a tree stand, you need to practice from a tree stand. Granted, this is not always the easiest thing in the world to do. And the reason it's not the easiest thing in the world to do is most archery ranges outdoors don't have an elevated tree stand for you to practice out of. I belong to a club in New Jersey called Waxby Archers. At that club, we have an outdoor 3D range, and we are fortunate enough to have a tree stand there, which you can get up with a ladder, get right up in there. We have a safety harness that you have to wear. And you can shoot from the elevated platform. Same thing with some gun clubs where they have a small archery range on. They have an elevated stand. And you can practice from there. I like practicing from the elevated tree stand instead of like a big elevated platform. Because again, it goes back to that first thing I talked about where you have a smaller platform you're standing on. So you have to watch your form. When you're on an elevated platform, like some big thing they built, which is there for convenience so people don't hurt themselves trying to walk up, you know, a ladder, they set up stairs, it goes up to the top of the platform, you secure it in there, you have a wide space, that's great, but at the same time, you take for granted how much space you have around you, and if you have bad habits on your draw, you're not going to notice it on there. 
But if you're in an actual tree stand, you will notice it. And it's good practice. Practice from how you are going to hunt. So if your hunting situation is going to be from a tree stand, you must practice from a tree stand. If you're going to be practicing from a blind, start off by practicing even when you're on the open range. Practice while you're seated. And some people say, well, what does it make a difference? There is a big difference in sitting and shooting as opposed to standing and shooting. You lose the leverage of your legs. So now, remember what I went back to and said, if you have a wonky shot where you're just pulling and you're at all different angles trying to get that bow back because it's technically too heavy for you, you're going to run into a problem. So if you just practice shooting from a seated position, you'll see that it takes a little getting used to. But that's what this practice routine is about. It's before season. You have some time to get used to it instead of trying to do it cold, never having done it before. And once you've become familiar shooting from a a chair, and I take it a step further and tell people, if you're going to shoot from a blind, here, shoot from this chair here. And at the same, because it's the same chair you're going to have sitting inside the blind, make sure it's the same one, the same size. Some people shoot from a regular flat chair. And then all of a sudden when they're in the blind, they're on like one of these little stools. It's completely different. Again, simulate as much as possible. But let's just say that you do that. You're shooting from the chair. Great. Shoot with your feet off the ground. Challenge yourself as much as possible. The greater the challenge during the simulation, the greater the ease during the actual execution. So try it that way. So you're in a blind. You got to remember you're shooting through a blind window. So a week or two before the season, especially if you have your own property, you're hunting on private property, set up your blind, put a target out, shoot from within the blind. And you'll see that now when you're faced with the obstacle of shooting through a window, your whole target picture might be different. But again, that's why you have to do the practice routine because it'll enable you to shoot simulated as much as possible to what you're going to be doing the day of the hunt. And that'll only give you the greater opportunity to be successful. And that's what this is all really about. Now, so we've simulated your positioning. We've simulated sitting in a tree stand. And also when you're shooting from a tree stand, you may find that the shots don't go where you think they're going to go. If you range an animal and you're in a 20-yard, say the, you put your target 20 yards away, but you're in a tree stand and you're 25, 30 feet up, it may not range out to 20 yards. It might be 23 yards, 24 yards. There is a difference to the target. Most rangefinders now, if they're bow hunting rangefinders, have the angle compensation in there. They'll give you an accurate range. And when I said to go ahead in preparation and go ahead and, mark your your different um, landmarks out, make sure you have that turned on so it tells you from the distance that you're shooting what the actual true distance to the target's going to be. But again, we get into how do we practice? What is our routine for these things? And what I'll tell you is there's nothing like actually doing it for real or actually simulating as much as possible. And some people don't get that when you're at, at an archery range, you're shooting on flat ground go to a 3d course like one that's in the woods that are set out like we have at waxby and you'll find you're shooting downhill you're shooting uphill okay 
In our last episode, I talked about the importance of third access being set properly on your site. It's because when you shoot uphill, your arrow's impact's going to be different if your third axis is off. But in the same token, you must, you must be able to know how to shoot at those different angles. So it's not enough that the bow's sight is now ready to shoot at the angle accurately. You yourself have to be able to shoot that angle. So some people will tell you, well, if I'm just shooting downhill, is it a big deal? You have to know what the cuts are. You have to know what the ads are. And you can look at charts and say, well, if you're at, if you're at 30 degrees, add this much, this many yards or subtract this many yards, but it has nothing to do. And it doesn't say anything about your particular bow or your particular shot process. So practice, practice shooting uphill, practice shooting downhill. It's all very important. Make your routine closer and closer as you get to the season to find a place, any 3D range you can go to, and there are a lot of public ones you can go to, or go to a 3D shoot. This way you get the experience of shooting uphill, downhill, in shadows, um, in extreme light. Because remember, depending on the light coming into your peep sight, that, tar- that, that peep may look bigger or smaller depending on the amount of light. So you don't want to surprise the day you're hunting. You want to have experienced it all first, so that you'll be prepared for it. And then there's animal targeting. And we're going a little bit long here, but this is kind of important. Your routine should be, I know how to aim at an animal. Like I said, pick a spot. When aiming at an animal from flat ground, broadside, it's simple. Not a problem. But when you're dealing with an animal that is quartering away or quartering towards you, And a quartering towards shot is something that I never tell anyone to take. And I don't suggest. Then I would say, make sure you know how to target the animal. And the simplest way I tell people is aim for the exit point. So if I know that I want to catch both lungs and I'm in an elevated stand, I'm going to aim for where I want the arrow to exit. That's going to catch both those both those vitals and it does just remember that aim for where you want your arrow to exit a lot of times if it's quartering away and you'll just aim for that one lung that way you'll wind up coming out in the front shoulder instead of coming out the other lung again these are all simulations that you have to do and it's best to do with a 3d target and you'll see how the arrow impacts where it goes based on the situation you're shooting from um the other thing you'd have to look at is Endurance. What, based on your endurance level, how do you react? And and this is you know where I'll pretty much finish it up here because this is more about routines. We've talked about doing everything seemingly as much as possible, but endurance is very very important. So how do you react when your heart rate is elevated? Is it do you get crazy? It's hard to say because the first time you see that deer, your heart's going to race a little bit. So how do you do it? Well, that's not hard. Easy way to do is put your bow down, run a little sprint, say 30 yards one way, come back 30 yards the other way. That sudden that sudden exercise is going to raise up your heartbeat. Now try to shoot your target at 20 yards. Do you find you have a hard time staying on target? 
That's a simulation for what you're going to see when your heart rate becomes elevated and he takes you by surprise. If you're, if you're the type of person who's going to be going out on an extended hunt where you're traveling, you're walking through the woods or you're going up the side of a mountain or something like that, you're going on, on a deep woods hunt, okay? You may be stalking an animal for a suspended period of time and if that happens and the animal presents itself with a shot opportunity, how is your body going to react, especially if you're tired, if you're exhausted, or if you're excited? You need to practice these things. And the best way I can figure out is figure out how you react when your heart rate is elevated. Sprint back and forth, do a couple push-ups, whatever you want. Go ahead and take your shot. After a while, you'll learn if you do that, either you're going to need two more two things to fix it. One is... Get yourself in better physical condition, which you can't always do prior to the season starting, like right away. But what you can do is learn how to, when you have an elevated harpy, how to calm yourself down on the shot. Remember, oh, an excited, a rushed shot is going to be a lost opportunity. And we don't want to see that happen to anybody. But again, it's a practice routine you can add to yourself. And there's a lot of other things that we can get into that I won't cover on this podcast that you can do in preparation as a routine, a targeting routine. I've covered the base few here, here that I go over with new people and that I go over with seasoned hunters alike. And hopefully they've been of some help to you. So that'll do it for this episode of the podcast. I hope you found it informative and it's helpful to you because if it helps just one person get that, you know, get that opportunity right and harvest an animal in this hunting season, then it's all well worth it. Um, so as usual, be sure to like and subscribe to our podcast. Send any questions you may have to highpowerarchery at gmail.com. Uh, tell your friends about the podcast. You never know. In one of our episodes, there may be something that can help one of them. And as we always say, it's not goodbye. It's until we see you, see you again. So until then, take care and shoot straight.